Hi, all. Welcome back. Sorry, I was just reading. I was reading some things before we start this podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Dean. I'm back. It is a Wednesday. We're a little early today because, well, we're flexible. It's how we do things around here. We don't get too crazy. We're not suckers for time. In fact, I could care less about it as long as the people show up. And today we got a good one. I'm uh, really excited. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had my friend Max Fawcett. He's the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer, a uh, fantastic digital news outlet that uh, talks about the accountable stuff that nobody else seems to get, including climate change, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Max, one of the nice guys, uh, very bright. Uh, so we bring him on from time to time to school us and other people last week. Or the week before, it was David Parker from Take Back Alberta, who recently took over Alberta himself, which he promised he would, and he did. Uh, and uh, through that process, a gentleman named Peter McCaffrey came to our attention. And Peter from the Alberta Institute also has a problem with Max. And so Peter wanted a piece of Max. Max wants to talk to Peter. So that's what we're doing today. Please welcome to the program from Canada's National Observer, my friend and yours, lead columnist, Mr. Max Fawcett, and also from the Alberta Institute in a sharp blazer and a wonderful yellow tie, Mr. Peter McCaffrey. Nice to see you guys. Good to see you. Uh, Peter, you, you didn't get the memo, huh? This uh, you, you don't need to get a suit on for the show, this podcast. Well, Max dressed up last time, and so I, I emulated him, and here we are. <laughs> well, I'm just happy to see you. You look great. Nice to see you, Peter. Um, Max, thanks for joining us. Uh, Max, a little under the weather. Uh, so if you sneeze, I just want to let you know you can take your headphones off and go for it. That's all That's all you can do. I mean, okay. you just got to manage it today, okay? All right. You all right? I'll do it. I'll do my yeah. best. All right. Uh, you guys yeah. both in Cal- – Max is in Calgary. Peter, where are you? You in Calgary too? I'm in Calgary as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, you guys are close to each other and you know each other on Twitter. <laughs> that's it. Like uh, you guys share the same city limits and you just sit and chirp each other on Twitter. Is that the deal? How do you guys know each other? Max, we'll start with you. Uh, it was it was a Twitter discovery. I, I try to remember who wrote the article, but but someone wrote a profile uh, of Peter and uh, and the Alberta Institute and and I happened to notice that that on Peter's Twitter profile he had misspelled his own institute uh, so I made a joke about that and that sort of began our, our I think years long sniping at each other about all things Alberta politics and um, you know we, we disagree I think on almost everything but it's usually I think pretty good natured you know certainly he does not use the the sort of personal insults that uh, David Parker likes to to break out for me so I do appreciate that about Peter and I I knew I was gonna get uh disarmed by his accent because i i have a crippling weakness for for any accent that is you know uh australian new zealand south african so uh here we are i have to fight through that but uh yeah that's that's focus on what i'm saying the content not all right right. it's impossible peter it's impossible you sound so cute uh okay so is that an accurate description of how you guys met you guys have been chirping each other for a few years peter is that correct Honestly, I don't remember that article. I'm going to have to go look that up and, and remind myself about that. But yeah, it seems like forever just uh, chatting and messaging back and forth on, on Twitter. And uh, f- funnily enough, I actually think we we might agree on quite a lot of things. It's just that we focus on Twitter on the things that we disagree on. I'm I'm very much a libertarian. So I think on most social issues, we're probably on the same page. But it's more fun to debate the economic stuff, isn't it? So. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you got the libertarian bit out there because uh, I think we should probably start by throwing our biases on the table and sifting through them a little bit. What is a libertarian, Peter? Explain that to me real quick. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I think at the very simplest, it's 
it's somebody we, we we tend to believe in the harm principle so do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting somebody else and um you know you can extend that principle through a lot of government policy and that mm -hmm. um inclines you to much smaller government than we have now um mm -hmm. you know we can have a debate about what counts as harm and that is what a lot of political debates are about um that often underpins a lot of discussions about different policies as to you know whether the government is justified interfering in certain things um and that tends to underpin the difference between libertarians and non-libertarians um but yeah at, at the core that's that's what it is we think you know people should be free to do uh what they want as long as they're not hurting someone else uh maximizing no matter what freedom, minimizing no matter what like you should be well, allowed to do no, you, whatever you want no matter what as long as you're not hurting somebody else is that correct yeah yeah exactly yeah cocaine as long as you're not harming someone else <laughs> All right, hey, dude. I'm just I'm just going through the litany of things that you can. Yeah, do yeah, yeah. No, like, like, and it's important to remember that this isn't necessarily yeah. advice, right? Libertarians don't necessarily think that you should go and do many of the things that we yeah. think it should be legal for you to do, um, but we don't necessarily think that the state banning it, locking you up mm -hmm. in jail if you refuse, uh, is the best solution to many of these problems. You know, a lot of drug problems are probably best dealt with as health issues rather than criminal issues, things like that, right? Okay, so so uh, case in point, let me just get through this before we get to Max's bias. Case in point, in Alberta, uh, you know, there's a government in charge there, the UCP, that seems to believe that uh, if you're a drug addict, uh, they have the right to take your rights away and put you somewhere, whether it be in jail, not necessarily rehab. It's not a health care issue to this government. Would you agree with that government or do your libertarian views not apply to this government? Like, how do you do your libertarian views apply to that as well? Or just is that something that you believe kind of in general? Well, look, I think, you know, drug addiction is a really complicated issue. And so we can't necessarily deal with it in two minutes as to what the solution is. But in general, uh, yeah, I don't agree with the current setup we have for, for drug policy. I don't think it should be criminalized. I think that gets in the way of yeah. treating it as a health issue. Having said that, I don't necessarily automatically agree with uh, any policy that treats it as a health issue, right? Like we have supervised okay. consumption sites. I think overall that's probably a good idea, but that doesn't yeah. mean I have to agree with the specific way that it's been implemented right now. And then I'm not allowed to have some concerns about specific ways that it's being administered, right? So, sure. Um, yeah. That good. Okay. Well, that makes sense to me. Uh, are you that kind of libertarian who doesn't like paying taxes? And are you one of those like sovereign citizen libertarians? Those guys make me laugh. Are you one of those dudes? Um, I wouldn't say I'm a sovereign citizen. Um, I, I accept that the state exists and has a role to play. Uh, that yeah. doesn't mean I necessarily think everything it does is good. Um, okay. I believe in a very sort of limited state. Um, I know that you uh, asked David if he thought taxation is theft uh, in your previous episode. And I would agree with that. But the caveat I would say is that it's legalized theft. Um, theft mm -hmm. is when you take something from somebody without permission. Uh, the government has given itself permission to do that. Um, yeah. So that's the caveat on that, I guess. Okay. Okay. So, but like, let's say you get pulled over for like speeding. This is my last example of libertarianism because I've seen this. Let's say you get pulled over for speeding and the police go, Peter McCaffrey from the Alberta Institute, you were going 180 and 100. Uh, this is your ticket. Oh, you, 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 hand it you're not gonna, 
Christian Freeland as the example. You're going to use me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll use Christian Freeland, but she's not a libertarian, right? She pays that bill and apologizes because we have laws in this country. So are you the kind of libertarian that's like, hey, stuff that ticket. I'm not interested because I am a libertarian and those rules don't apply to me and I don't believe in the state or the laws of the state. Are you that kind of libertarian or are we back to sovereign no, citizens? So, Just trying to so set the, the table, piece. The state controls the roading system. The state sets the speeding limit on the roads. I think sometimes okay. they might the speed limit too low. Um, and I think, you know, potentially we could have a lot more private roads where we could have varying different speed limits. And Max yeah. and I would probably even agree that some kind of pricing system for roads would probably be better. Um, mm -hmm. In the current situation we have, you know, yeah, generally follow the rules. Okay. Um, and Max is a card-carrying uh, <laughs> social, uh, socialist weasel. I'm still waiting for that T-shirt, Dean. You guys have cards? I or? tried to get our guys to make it. I tried to get our guys to make it after a Parker called you a socialist weasel or a lefty weasel or whatever it was. And he's like, I think he's on vacation. Our graphics guy. It's coming. Yeah. It's just not coming right, for a while. Right. But but you're a you're you're lefty. a yeah you're you're a lefty, right? How do you describe what is your bias? Where are you from? Well, so I, I think it really depends on on where I am in the country. The 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 reason why. I ended up deciding to move to Calgary and Alberta and sort of make my life here is because the politics here feel the most comfortable to me. In Alberta, I am definitely on the left. Um, you know, I constitutionally, I think I'm a social Democrat. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I believe in the role of, of people in making collective decisions, but I also think that government plays a, a very constructive and very important role in, in how we pursue our, our common self-interest and our common shared interests um you know in vancouver growing up there uh, especially after i worked in alberta and worked for an oil and gas magazine i i was conservative like they i and i felt conservative i felt um you know uh uncomfortable with sort of the direction that the the, the progressive left was going and, and that felt weird to me to to be on that side of the debate and so uh, naturally i reoriented myself in a province where you know i'm, I'm a little more comfortable with the with the political ground under my feet mm -hmm. okay okay so that's something i didn't know i always just thought you were a socialist weasel <laughs> i didn't know you had uh conservative leanings but i mean the the older we get the more we progress or the more we regress you know what was true to us yesterday might not be true to us uh tomorrow it's kind of how the world works uh i'm very familiar and you've been on the show several times so i'm not going to go as deep with you about your bias but this is where you live you live in this in this uh, social responsibility. You also have a deep understanding of why the oil and gas industry is important. We're talking about Alberta today because you're both in Alberta. Um, but the reason why we're here today is because Peter came after you and said you were slinging disinformation on the show with David Parker. Let me get to that tweet. This is how we all got together. Uh, this is Peter McCaffrey at Peter uh, EMCC on Twitter. So Max Fawcett spread a ton of misinformation on Dean Blundell's show yesterday. One thing specifically he misled people about, and I want to get through the pension shit because it's boring as fuck to me, by the way. Um, <laughs> one thing specifically he misled people about was claiming Fraser Institute calculated Alberta only owned 17% uh, of the CPP fund, not what Fraser did. Fraser wrote a report analyzing whether APP is a good idea or a bad idea. This, of course, uh, is the Alberta pension plan, which is this 
stick in the eye of the federal government saying we're going to take 53 percent, which is what the government of Alberta is saying, 53 percent of Canada's pension plan. We're going to take it. We're going to do what we want with it, support businesses. We want blah, 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 blah. We know how pension funds work. So, Peter, go ahead. What was your issue with Max? And let's get into the deep end of the pool and go for a swim, Peter. Well, so um, a, a lot of the debate so far on whether the pension plan makes sense has centered on this question of what share that Alberta would be entitled to um, if we were to create a separate Alberta pension plan. And um, the, the legislation that created the Canada pension plan outlines the process and the formula that should be used to calculate what a province's share is. And roughly speaking, uh, the idea at the time of passing legislation was that provinces should be able to leave the Canada pension plan, take their money with them and be in the same financial position they would have been had they not joined the Canada pension plan in the first place. And and the reason why that was what was being pushed for, it was actually Ontario at the time that were pushing for that, is because uh, pensions are essentially a provincial jurisdiction um, and the federal government needed the province's agreement to create a, a Canada pension plan. Quebec obviously said, no, we, we don't want anything to do with this. We're going to create our own pension plan and, and went their own way. And Ontario had very serious reservations. Uh, essentially, they were concerned that they were going to be subsidizing the rest of the country. And so they wanted it made clear in the legislation that if things weren't going the way that they'd been promised, if things weren't working out, that they would be able to leave and be put back in the situation they would have been had they done what Quebec did and just run their own pension plan from the start. Um, ironically, obviously, it ended up being Alberta subsidizing uh, the rest of Canada, not Ontario. Um, so we have Ontario to thank for that clause being in there and for allowing Alberta to opt out. Um, but so there's this formula in the legislation to help you calculate what share of the pension each province is entitled to. And, and a lot of the misinformation slash misunderstanding that's been going around, especially on places like Twitter and Reddit, has been around this 53% number that is in this LifeWorks report that's been calculated. And to be clear, the 53% is actually the midpoint of a range. They, ha they have some uncertainty on, on exactly what the number would be, but the 53% is what they feel is the most likely. And a lot of people are confused about how a province that only represents roughly 16.5% of the people in the pension plan can be entitled to such a large share of the money that is remaining. But it's important to remember that the entitlement that a province has is not just based on the amount of money that they've put in. It's based on the difference between the amount of money that's been put in versus the amount of money that's been withdrawn. And then the province's share of the returns based on that difference. And so the example I've been using uh, on Twitter to try and get this across to people is like, if, if you imagine that you and I had a shared bank account and I put in $100 a week, but I withdraw $90 a week. So my net contribution is only 10. Whereas if you put 200 in a week and you take out 10, then your net contribution is 190. And so we, uh, sorry, you take out 190. Uh, and so then even though you're putting twice as much in to the pension plan each week, your net contribution is only $10 instead of $90. And so over time, 
that net contribution of $90 a week versus $10 a week is going to mean that you own a very, very large share of our shared savings account. And so you have to not just look at the amount being put in, but the difference between what's being put in and what's being withdrawn. And, and that's essentially the, the difference between the argument. And so the phrase the Fraser number is effectively Alberta's population share. And they weren't yeah. saying that that is what Alberta is entitled to. They were saying, you know what? There's this big debate about what the entitlement should be. Let's assume that Alberta only gets a population share, a very low number, assume that, and then let's calculate whether an Alberta pension plan makes sense or not for Alberta. And the Fraser report found that an Alberta pension plan makes a lot of sense for Alberta, even if you only assume that Alberta gets a population share. And so they're saying, if it's a population share, it makes sense. LifeWorks is saying, if we get 53%, it makes sense. Here's the numbers. In reality, well, that makes a lot of sense if you're in Alberta, that 53%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense to me if I was in Alberta, too. I understand that math. Um, Fraser Institute, put a pin in that in just a second where we're getting our information from, which is very important. Max, your comment. A couple of things. The The first comment I'll make is that, you know, I in that tweet that you identified, I think what Peter was referring to when he said misinformation was that I used the word calculate with respect to the Fraser Institute when... I guess his assertion is that they're merely estimating, even though they use the word calculate repeatedly in that report. So I, I think we're really kind of lowering the bar on misinformation. We might want to kind of set that a little higher, especially on a place like Twitter. But to me, this, you know, we can get into the math, we can get into uh, the, the, the sort of the, the legislation. But to me, this is all about a smell test. Um, does the idea that Alberta gets more than half of the shared assets in the Canada Pension Plan pass the smell test? To me, uh, it does not come even remotely close. Peter talked about the, 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 the 53% number being a midpoint in a range. One of the points in that range is the idea that Alberta deserves more than 100% of the assets in the Canada Pension Plan. That is actually one of their points. And then they, in the report, they go, well, that's not reasonable. So we'll settle on this much more reasonable, more than half figure. Uh, you know, it's, it's a deft sort of rhetorical move, but uh, it doesn't pass the smell test. At the end of the day on this issue, you have people who are traditionally conservative who are coming out and saying that this number makes no sense. Uh, you have the Chamber of Commerce. You have the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. Uh, you have the Fraser Institute, which has never really been shy about kind of nudging things in the direction of Alberta or in the direction of conservative politicians. So, I, you know, I, I'm not sure why they wouldn't make assumptions or do calculations that favored the case for an Alberta pension plan uh, as much as possible. You have the Fair Deal panel from the UCP government. Uh, that came back with a number that was closer to, I think, 70 billion than 334 billion. You have the 2019 version of Danielle Smith, who said on CBC television that Alberta was was entitled to, I think, 40 billion was her number uh, in an Alberta pension plan. Uh, on the other side, you have today's Danielle Smith. You have Jack Mintz, uh, who has served on a variety of UCP boards and who was actually a board member at LifeWorks. Uh, in the past. This is the company that prepared this report, so not surprising that he backs their, their findings. And you have, you have my friend Peter McCaffrey. So I know who I trust uh, with sort of assessing this information. Um, I know who in that group of people that I've identified is biased towards a certain outcome and who is biased towards maybe more the facts. And guy like Trevor Toome, who is a prof at the University of Calgary, he, his integrity is beyond questioning. It is beyond doubt. Uh, you know, the UCP routinely posts his work on the premier's 
Twitter page as validation of their their policies. He has come out and said, uh, you know, he produced a whole paper about this that the fifty three percent number is ludicrous. Uh, it's based on a misinterpretation of the legislation uh, and and the sort of conventions around that, and that a more realistic figure, an upside figure, is twenty five percent. Twenty five percent, I can kind of get behind. Uh, you know, back in twenty nineteen, I actually made the case for an Alberta pension plan uh, in the digital pages of CBC, believe it or not, um, for much of the same reasons that the Alberta government is making it now. Young population, good demographics, um, and, uh, you know, just a, a much stronger economy than other parts of the country. But uh, I also didn't premise it around a number that, that can't be defended or justified. I, I premised it around a realistic estimate and said that there were pros and cons. And that's the conversation we should be having in Alberta, not this ludicrous fantasy number and then telling people, well, seniors can get a bonus check. You'll pay less in, you'll pay less in, in uh, uh, fees. You'll get more in benefits. Everyone gets a, a, you know, a, a pony and a pot of chicken soup, you know, like this fantasy conversation. Let's have a real conversation where we acknowledge that there are potential benefits and potential risks, and then let people decide how they want their pension money to be handled. What I don't understand is why, why now? Because like, and, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Parker, uh, Max. And, and I said this to you and I kind of said this to both of you guys in a DM. I'm like, listen, let's scoot right past the pension stuff. But I, because it's boring to me because I've never put like an ounce of thought into, hmm, I wonder what Canada should do with our pensions. I wonder if uh, the provinces should take them over until you guys in Alberta and Peter, you're an advocate decided this would be good for Alberta. But that 53% number, and to Max's point, I think the number was 106% of the uh, of the Canadian pension plan, what they wanted. And you're talking about a mid midpoint number of 53% for one province. So, so, you talk so, about so smell tests. Now, no, hang on, let me just get, let me get through this. It, okay. it just on the surface to someone who doesn't give a shit about the pension plan, I, I would be that guy. Um, if, if I don't know nuance and if I'm not fortunate enough to know guys like Max, and if I'm not fortunate enough to be able to read and reason, I look at that and I go, anybody in Alberta that decides this is a great idea is a fucking moron because the rest of the country gets penalized and to use that as fear porn for the rest of the country. And that's where I come from. It's been hilarious to watch because no one gives a shit about a pension plan. No average human being wakes up in the morning and goes, Today's the day. Hope Alberta gets their own pension plan. Like literally nobody, Peter. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no. So, it, it, but but it's important now to kind of dissect what Max said there because no offense, Max, you did what you do on Twitter, which is throw out a bunch of numbers and references. But when you start actually, those are pretty solid back, numbers and references, though. That come no, from the yeah, but, but they're side. but they're wrong, Dean. So let's walk through them one by but one. It's, so, it comes from your work. It comes from the, the no, no, no. The, hang, the hang on, papers hang on. Site. So, now, hang on. So Max said that the upper yeah. limit of the range that the report cites is the 800 billion number that means it's 120 or 200 percent of the report. It's not. The, the 800 billion number in the report is separate from the range. That 800 billion number is a number they immediately discarded because of a drafting error in the legislation that where the calculation of the returns happens before you calculate how much people have been paid. The actual range in the report, and I've got the numbers here, is 252 billion at the bottom and 360 at the top, and the midpoint is 334. 
the 800 billion number is separate from the range. So that's the that's the first thing that we need to be clear on. That that was discarded by the report for a different reason. The range is based on the estimates and the assumptions. The second thing Max said is he tried to create a false equivalence of saying, oh, well, it's LifeWorks and me on one side, and it's all these conservative groups on the other side. Well, hang on, let's, let's go through that. So Chamber of Commerce, CFIB, they didn't go through and do an actuarial, actuarial analysis of the number that this should be. They just put out a statement saying, well, we're a little bit concerned that this will be destabilizing. And so, you know, we have some concerns around the policy. But that's not the same as them having done a calculation and then disagreeing with the calculation in the report. He referenced a couple of numbers from years and years and years ago. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you think the Calgary Chamber of Commerce is going to put out a thing saying, hey, this probably is a terrible idea for these reasons because they didn't do the math? Well, but they didn't say this is a terrible idea. And, and Max is making it sound like they said it's a terrible idea. They said they have some concerns that it might be destabilizing, which all policy changes might well, be. Destabilization right? sounds like a bad yeah, idea. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a chat with the Calgary Chamber people and laying out the numbers for them and persuading them, which I haven't had a chance to do yet. All right. But again, Max is taking a statement that a conservative group said and twisting it to make it sound like it was different than what they actually said. OK, so and then he's referenced the Trevor Toom report. And I think the Trevor Toom report is actually the interesting one because I don't disagree with a single calculation that Trevor Toom did. But it's also important to note that Trevor Toom doesn't disagree with a single calculation that LifeWorks did, because the disagreement between LifeWorks and Trevor Toom's analysis is not over the calculation, it's over a statutory interpretation of what the formula should be. And I've, I've had a chat with Trevor Toom, I had a good long chat with him about this, about why his number comes out differently. And he is looking at the legislation differently and using a different starting point for the calculation where he's not actually calculating based on contributions paid by individuals into the province. Mm -hmm. He's calculating it based on the returns to the province, based on the bonds that provinces uh, invest had invested from the Canada pension plan. And so he's coming at it from a completely different angle. It's interesting. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't tell you which statutory interpretation is correct. To be fair, Trevor Toom is not a lawyer either. We're just reading the legislation differently. And in the end, a court is going to have to figure out which of those interpretations are correct. But LifeWorks don't disagree with Trevor's calculations and Trevor doesn't disagree with LifeWorks' calculations, which is why it's going to be really interesting when we start getting into the legal stuff on this. We start getting rulings from courts. We, we've now finally had the federal government say that, yes, they will provide their own calculations as well so that we know what the number is. But again... It's also important to remember, and I hope we have a chance now to actually go into why this is beneficial, but we're talking about a range between 17, 25 from Trevor, 53 from LifeWorks. That Fraser report and other work shows that this is a beneficial thing for Alberta to do, even if it's just the 17% number. It's like, so a, we're not debating, it's like a roulette we're not wheel of pension funding. We're debating right? how much of a good thing it is. Yeah, it's like, but listen, it's like you put three things on the board and you're like, 16, 25, 53, Max. Which one is it? Go ahead. You need to sure, and that's why it's useful for Max to get the 16 number out there because he's trying to frame it the other way as well, right? So we right. have we have we have one group that is paid by the government of Alberta, which clearly has a bias here that clearly wants a particular outcome. All you have to do is look at their engagement and the fact that they don't give people the opportunity to say, no, this stinks, it's a bad idea. It's more the engagement is all around what way is it a good idea? 
So you have the government paying this firm to give them this 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 report. Great. Uh, and on the other hand, you have uh, you know an academic like Trevor Toome, who it's interesting. Uh, Peter said he's not a lawyer, which he isn't. Um, the pre, uh, Jim Denning, who's doing the consultation, repeatedly said that he's uh, he's not an actuary. Uh, so they're really sort of trying to pile up these reasons why we shouldn't listen to Trevor Toome and, and his work. But we have multiple independent sources, including the Fraser Institute, including the Fair Deal panel, Jason Kenney's Fair Deal panel, who have put the number at or around 17% of the CPP. And you have one person, one group, one report coming out saying it should be 53%. We can pretend that those are like equivalent data points and that we should just maybe split the middle. I know that's what uh, certainly the UCP would like uh, to have happen here, but I think we can look at the preponderance of evidence on one side, including from groups that are not traditionally aligned uh, with people like me, and, and look at the, the sort of threadbareness of the, of the evidence on the other side and make a conclusion about which one we should actually believe. Mm. And well, so in my I, ask, I completely agree that they're not equivalent, right? One is an actual actuarial analysis done by a group that until recently was called Morneau Chappelle. And if you recognize the name Morneau, it's big Morneau, it's because it was run by uh, Morneau, Bill Morneau, the former liberal finance minister. And also note what Max just did. Again, he conflated two comp completely separate organizations, right? So he said that the firm that did the actual uh, actuarial analysis mm -hmm. run by a former liberal federal finance minister was discredited because the consultation that they're doing is biased. But the group doing the consultation is not Morneau Chappelle who wrote the report. Those are two separate organizations, right? Morneau I never Chappelle said it, I never said it was. Firm that did the actual, you did, you did. You'll, no, you'll, I didn't. You'll, the you'll regret it when you go back Jim, and watch Jim the video. Didn't. Jim Dinning um, is the one doing the consultation. Yeah, yeah. And Jim Dinning's panel is doing a consultation to figure out what an Alberta pension plan might look like. And you can't ask people, do you want an Alberta pension plan when you haven't even figured out what it looks like yet? And the analogy, you'll have seen this, Max, the analogy I use for that one is my home country of New Zealand recently had a debate about whether to change the flag of New Zealand. And we didn't just have a referendum of, do you want to change the flag? Because if you had a vote on, do you want to change the New Zealand flag? People would be like, well, what do you, what do you want to change it to? I, I don't know how to vote until I see what the alternative is. I would have voted against changing the New Zealand flag if I hadn't got to see what the proposal was. Instead, what the government of New Zealand did was a massive in-depth consultation process, um, proposals, uh, competitions for new ideas, debates, all that kind of stuff to figure out what a proposed new flag might look like. And then we had a referendum in New Zealand where people got to vote between the current flag and the proposed new flag, and they got to compare the two. You can't at the start say, tell us whether you want a new flag, tell us whether you want an Alberta pension plan or not before you actually work out what it would look like. And so but how many of those people that they're asking actually gave a shit about having a pension in the first place, Peter? Like, that's the question I have for you, because no one again, I go back to this all the time, is that nobody discussed what to do or getting out of the CPP. And when I heard that Alberta had plans to do this to, you know, build infrastructure, take their money, do whatever the fuck they wanted with it. Um, it was like not it wasn't just a poke in the eye of the federal government. It was basically telling all Canadians, hey, we don't give a fuck about your pension. Right. We don't care. 
We care about us. We care about our province. We care about the industry in this province propping up oil and gas. We hate renewable resources, all that other bullshit. We know why Alberta is doing this. And you can't tell me that they're doing this because it makes great financial sense because it doesn't not for the rest of the country. So my question to you is this, and it's a pretty easy question to answer. And then we'll throw it over to Max. Um, my question to you is this. Do you understand that portion of this issue because that's the yeah, portion of the absolutely. issue that's going to connect with Canadians. It's this, not about percentages the, and who did what fucking report. It's not give a shit who did what report. What I care about is the welfare and the well-being of every single Canadian that actually draws a pension. And what you're what you're suggesting is that Alberta needs to take out way more, way more than they should be entitled to. And we're parsing different pieces from different papers, and we're using that to justify some kind of result, some kind of narrative result that we drive for culture. Now, you being a libertarian, and I've been on your Twitter feed, right, you you definitely lean right. Whether or not you say you're a libertarian or not, you lean right. And I want to bring up a couple of points, and here's here's one of your tweets. Well, well hang on. Let, let, let me yeah. respond to what you said first, okay? Sure. So, so you've actually highlighted a really important point, which is I'm not for the Canada for an Alberta pension plan under any conditions, right? Okay. There's not no set of conditions where I'm always for it. You actually highlighted one of the primary concerns I have, which is that if an Alberta pension plan is designed in such a way mm -hmm. that the money is being pulled from the Canada pension plan and put into an Alberta pension plan so that it can be invested in specific infrastructure projects. Oil and gas. Oil and yeah. gas or something like that. I'm not in favor of that. I think the Alberta pension plan, like the Canada pension plan, should be invested in as diverse a set of industries as possible, run by independent investment managers to ensure that the money is being used for pensions, right? And that's a, a perfect example of why we need to go through this consultation process and figure out what an Alberta pension plan will actually look like mm. before we vote. Because if the system that the Alberta government designs has those protections in it, like the Canada Pension Plan does, to ensure that the money won't be spent on political crap like that, then I'll be in favor. And if it doesn't have those protections, then I will be opposed. And, and we need to go through the consultation process to see that. But then you, you talked about the cost, right? It's important to remember that the, the cost is asymmetrical, by which I mean, Albertans are really getting ripped off. But the benefit to each individual Canadian is actually not that big. And the cost to each individual Canadian would not be that small, would not be that big of Alberta leaving because there are so many more people in the rest of Canada than there are in Alberta. So take the LifeWorks report. We can dispute the numbers. We'll, we can use Trevor Toombs numbers in a second if you want. But the savings per Albertan of Alberta creating an Alberta pension plan are about $2,800 a year. The cost to every other Canadian to compensate for the loss of that subsidy is only about $175 per Canadian because the subsidy is spread out across so many more people. Trevor Toombs' numbers are slightly different. He pegs the cost for every other Canadian at about $280 instead of $180. Um, but the reason Albertans care about this is because it's a small number of people paying a really large amount of money as a subsidy to the rest of the country. Whereas the rest of Canadians, that subsidy is spread out across a large number of people. And so each individual Canadian benefits or loses much less proportionally than the Albertans. And so that's why it's important. As always, the Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by our friends at factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, do you believe? The good people at FactCheck are a quorum of software professionals, psychological professionals, journalists, 
that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information and alternative sources. And there's going to be a weapon button too, where you can turn that information around and put it back out there accurately to combat disinformation. The good people at factcheck.io are right now testing their beta version of their free program. Yes, it will be free for anybody who wants to use it. They want to battle disinformation because it is a problem. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The world's most robust fact-checking disinformation software for news, social media, video, print, anything spoken word. These people are on the tip. And they use some of the finest software technology to be able to give you the advantage when it comes to getting agency back in your life, when it comes to information that you read. Go to factcheck.io today for more information. Sign up for their beta test, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K dot I-O. Max. Okay. Um, let me figure <laughs> out where to, where to begin here. Um, the Morneau Chappelle, Chappelle stuff. And this is this is sort of a familiar line that I hear that, well, it's, you know, Bill Morneau's company. And uh, obviously it's, uh, you know, highly, you know, why would they use a liberal firm? The numbers must be right. Bill Morneau has not been running that company since he went into federal politics in 2015. The company has gone through, I believe, two different ownership changes since then. So, um, you know, his his fingerprints, whatever they might have been on it, uh, are certainly not there. It's why they used Morneau Chappelle was to give it this sort of fig leaf of uh, of impartiality. I I. You know, they, they keep putting this thing on Trevor that he's not an actuary and that they have this actuarial report and that the reason why the report is great is because it's done by actuaries. And the actuary who did it, his name isn't signed on it. Um, you can't find the person who did prepared the report. They haven't put their name to it as far as I can tell. And uh, I think that's a bit of a sign. Uh, I look forward to the, the, the federal actuary um, giving us a number. I think we should get a bunch of actuaries to to get together and give us give us their numbers, uh, because that does seem to be the thing that that really uh, motivates or or impresses uh, Peter and and the folks who are who are backing an Alberta pension plan. Uh, I suspect that their numbers will come much closer to the the seventeen percent that folks like Trevor Toom uh, have have arrived at, and part of that is because um, you know the math around where benefits paid versus premiums paid doesn't take account of the fact that people move to Alberta to work and they move back to either live the rest of their lives or retire. And it really doesn't take a, account of the fact that that is beneficial to Alberta. You know, there's this narrative that like, well, Alberta's getting ripped off and we pay so much more in and we get so much less out and we're getting screwed over. And if we just write this wrong, like, yeah, other Canadians will have to pay a little more for the same benefits, but we'll get all this money back that we're owed. It ignores the fact that our economy here, and certainly the economy during the oil and gas boom years, uh, was underwritten by labor from other parts of the country, from people coming from the Maritimes, coming from BC, coming from Saskatchewan, coming from Ontario and Quebec to work here, and then go home and, and eventually collect their pensions. And if we didn't have that labor mobility, uh, a lot of those jobs would go unfilled. Labor prices, labor costs would go up. You know, these companies would be less profitable. It all is part of the same conversation. And this is why the Chamber of Commerce and why the CFIB have come out and said what they said. It's not that they are sort of, you know, uh, just tepidly opposed to the instability and they haven't run their own numbers. I think it's because they look at this and they go, under no circumstance is this a good thing for business. Under no circumstance is having this sort of uncertainty, 
uh, for years and years and years, lawsuits, uh, legal decisions, negotiations, is in no universe is this good for a business community that thrives on certainty, labor mobility, and the ability to attract investment. Um, you know, this is a, a conversation um, that, that can be sort of frustrating in, in how circular it becomes. But again, I go back to the smell test. I think most people can look at this, look at the numbers that Alberta is asking for and understand that it simply does not add up. So, Peter, let me ask you a question. Thank you, Max. Let me ask you a question. Did, is there a reason why did you take in the really uber exciting uh, UCP AGM the other day? Did you enjoy that? Did you take that in? <laughs> I did. I was there. Yeah, it was oh, uh, exciting. Really? Was Parker? Thing, I think. <laughs> is he Parker? Was he wearing a vest? Did he shave? No. He, he was there, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Um, so here's a question I have for you. Uh, we're talking about pension. We've wasted, in my mind, wasted 30 minutes on it. Um, but you know, and I know it's very relevant for. Specific that's because it's only going to cost you 180 bucks a year for Albertans. <laughs> it's 2,800. Remember? Yeah, it's nice. To, it's nice to have a discount yeah. out here. That's all I feel. I'm glad that uh, that 180 bucks isn't going to be a big well, deal. Well, listen, I pay a lot more for housing and everything else out here, so I deserve the break. Um, let me ask you a question. Um, why well, wasn't this? Why wasn't housing. this? Why wasn't this a topic at the AGM? Like they completely whiffed. No one talked about the APP CPP stuff. Is there a reason? Uh, I, I mean, the, the simple answer is that the government has created a consultation panel to work out what an Alberta pension plan might look like. And but so, this was but hold it, dude. Like you, 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 and I say you, you know, the royal you, um, people that line up on the right, which I believe you do, and you can take issue with that if you like. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it out if you need me to. Um, really use this as a cudgel for a good couple of months to scare the shit out of Canadians and, scare, and troll the rest of the libs, really to own the libs. Um, and then when it came, when push came to shove and you're at this AGM where all the, all the conservative government people are like, here's what we're doing this year. Not a whisper. Not a whisper. You hammer away at it for two months, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, we're just going to talk about other shit. We're just going to pretend we weren't talking about that. Because I believe it's not palatable in any room. But at the same time, I found it interesting. And and you can, I'd love to, I'd love your theory as to why, you know, in the meeting where they're all the big heads of everything are like, we're going to take over, we're going to take our money back from Canada. Not a word. I find that fascinating, Peter. Well, I mean, it was discussed plenty on the floor of the, the conference. Um, as, as I said, well, I'm not in private? Agree with your assertion that the government hammered on it for months. The government announced a consultation panel, and the job of the consultation panel is to go out and consult and find out what an upload pension plan would look like. They spent it, millions the government, on, on the propaganda machine. Dude, I'm in this business. They spent millions and millions and millions of dollars, literally feeding social media with the idea that they were entitled to 53% of everybody else's pension. So listen, and they hammered away at it for over 60 days. And when the AGM started, I was thinking, Hey, listen, I'm going to watch some of this because I want to learn about the pension. Not a word. It's like two hours of like hiding from it. And when Look, you say they were talking about it on the floor, it's hey, one of those. Are they having conversations games. in private. Hey, we're not going to talk about this on stage. Let's just have a little small group and talk it, about this pension. It's one of those political games that people like Max like to play. Like it's a lose lose from their perspective. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. He didn't do if it. I'm doing it. I'm the guy that's no, taking well, yeah, the you're doing it too. This. But yeah, yeah. But if the no, government, I'm, dude, I am apolitical. Listen, let me. I'll throw my bias on the table. I, I think. Sure. I think okay. this is a joke. I think. I think the 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 political machinery provincial and federal is cultural we know that i think you line up where the money is and you go out and you drive a result for your culture 
that's where I'm at. I don't have a horse in this race. What okay, I but, what but I can tell you is, is smell test stuff. Hang on. The smell test stuff, Peter, which is, hey, listen, if this is really important to you and you want to drive this result and you want to break up the country and you want to take people's pensions, at the very least, you could have the fucking courage to talk about it on television, right? At the very least, you could have the courage to talk about it in your AGM. Not a peep. Zero. So, so my point is that had the government announced a consultation panel and then the government had gone out and been hammering the government's points and Premier Smith had been speaking at the conference about what the government wants and and uh, ministers have been doing TV interviews talking about what the government wants, people like Max would be complaining that the consultation process wasn't being respected. It's a hypothetical because it didn't happen. That's a, you, can't, you can't, you can't and, debate and the in hypotheticals. you in that process by saying what the government wants, right? No, like, no, but you're, 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 you're inventing these things. You're, you're inventing these realities that didn't happen. No, no, because Max has made that argument for other government consultation panels where the well, government Well, because does. Max, Max is a very well-educated, very legitimate yeah, yeah, individual he, who does And he knows that he can make political hay either way. If the government doesn't get out there and and give speeches on this, he can say, why aren't they talking about it? And if the government does get out there and give speeches on this, he knows that yep. he can complain that they're interfering in the independent process. So, you okay. Know. So the reason why they didn't say anything about it at the AGM, in your opinion, is because guys like Max would pan it. Go ahead, Max. What's your excuse? Why Not do you think they didn't well, talk I'm, about it? I am, I am flattered that uh, I got to determine what was in Daniel Smith's speech. That was, that was very great of me. Um, and I pat myself on the back for that. Um, no, the reason why they didn't powerful. talk about you're it. You're so powerful. You don't have to do anything. Just the, the thought of you talking about someone prevents people from actually speaking. Good for you. Max. Look, look, the reason why they didn't talk about it is because they know it's not popular. Um, they, you know, as to the con the purity of the consultation process, as you point out, Dean, they've, they have their, they don't even have their thumb on the scale. They have their entire body weight on the scale here in terms of the consultation. The consultation is framed around a fantasy number. You know, it's asking people, hey, would you like this chocolate sundae and not to gain any weight? If so, say yes. Uh, that's not a consultation process. I did some consultation processes when I was with the government of Alberta. And, and one of the principles uh, of, of good consultation is that you don't privilege the outcome. Uh, you, you give people the information and let them make the choice themselves. And they don't even have all the information. They have the information of one report and a consultation process that doesn't allow them to say no. It only allows them to say to determine in which ways they would like to say yes. Do you want lower premiums? Do you want higher payouts? Nothing about is this a good idea or not, yes or no. Um, and I think the fact that she didn't talk about it, they didn't talk about it at the convention is really important because they didn't talk about it during the election. They didn't talk about it at their convention. And so look, I'm with Peter 100%. I do not want my pension funds invested in political projects. I don't want it used to subsidize the oil and gas industry. But how am I supposed to take this government at its word that it's not going to do that when it didn't even tell us it was going to do this and all of a sudden it's launched this big push for an Alberta pension plan? What is to, what is to say that you know six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, if we suddenly have an APP, they don't come out and say, well, we think it's time to, to reinvest in Alberta's companies. We need to support our, our homegrown oil and gas industry from the, the woke uh, ESG hounds uh, in New York and Toronto. And so we're going to take some of your pension money and we're going we're gonna to use it to offer cut rate loans to, to drilling companies, to small oil and gas producers. Like they don't have a track record of doing what they said they're going to do. They have a track record of not telling people what they're going to do. Mm. Peter? Um 
I find I find that like I, I mean everybody here is is stumping for you know the information that they have the people that they do business with um, you know I am I'm an outsider I'm a rube I'm one of those guys that's like okay what's going on in Alberta and when we talk about the pension plan when we talk about what's being held back from people Max is correct the funnel or the portal and I've been through the digital portal for the feedback the digital portal for the feedback didn't even offer people a chance to say they do not want this or they do want this so that's a problem for me number two and it, and listen I'm, again I'm not in Alberta so it doesn't matter to me but uh, number two. The fact they didn't talk about it at the meeting, that's a real problem for anybody because it's incredibly disingenuous. If you say you're going to set the tone and this is what you want to do and you're going to upset Canadians fruit basket like this, it's a problem. Uh, number three, and I find this to be really interesting, is that someone like yourself who says you're a libertarian, right, who says that you do not espouse views from the left or the right, line up so completely with what the right wants to do, but then we parse our language to some extent by saying things like, well, the reason why those things weren't talked about is because guys like Max exist or they're going to pan it. So why talk about it? It's it's I find it disingenuous to some extent. And, and I and I don't know where you line up because you say you're libertarian is is the Alberta Institute where you're from. Is it is it funded by people on the right? Is it do you do business with people who want to drive an outcome like this? Uh, because I find that you use a lot of the same terms in some of your language that we see when it comes to people like woke uh, Marxist. That was another one you used here, which I find interesting. We can get into Marxism where, uh, you know, there was a disorder in the gallery during the throne speech. And you said typical anti-democratic Marxists, uh, you earn the right to speak in the legislature by being voted in for an election. It seems very tropey. Like you, it seems like you come at this um, really from that hard right perspective under the guise you're libertarian or the Alberta Institute is libertarian. So what is what is the Alberta Institute? Explain that to me real quick. And where do you get your funding, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. So 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 I think, first off, libertarian is roughly speaking more to the right on economics and more to the left on social issues. And so, yeah, when we're talking about economic issues, we're going to be more in general agreement with the right. Having said that, a lot of the right isn't very good on economics anymore either. So, so you you're know, that, so the libertarian the social responsibility for the libertarian portion of yourself is 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 very much Marxist, is what you're saying. I wouldn't say Marxist because Marxist is more of an economic. Don't do thing. that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but but well, coming back to the point though. So first off, I didn't actually say the reason why they didn't talk about it at the conference was because Max would pan it. I said that if they did talk about it, Max would pan it, but that wasn't the reason I said why they wouldn't. The reason I said they wouldn't is because they have an independent panel doing the consultation, All right. right? And if they were to speak, that would be interfering with that process. Is it independent though? But I think it's important to recognize the, the dichotomy we have here, right? So think back to the NDP in 2015, didn't campaign on carbon tax, and then implemented a carbon tax after they were elected. That's the true secretive anti-democratic way to do it is to say, well, we, you know, we want a carbon tax, but we're not going to tell people that during the election. And then we're just going to do it afterwards. Right. What Danielle Smith and the UCP have done is actually the open public transparent way of doing that and saying, well, look, we're not going to determine at this election whether we do yeah. a pension plan because it's a complicated, controversial issue. So we're going to take that off the table for this election campaign. After the election campaign, we're going to run an open, transparent it's consultation. The same thing. And then it's at the same. end, we're going to have a no, no, but but at the end, we're going to have a referendum. 
And so there's oh, going to be a separate vote at the end where people get to decide whether they want to do it. If the NDP had said, look, in 2015, we're not going to campaign a car on a carbon tax. After the election, we'll let you see what your carbon tax might look like. And then we'll have a referendum on whether to implement a carbon tax in Alberta or not. They wouldn't have been attacked for their secretive agenda. I think they would have lost that referendum because Albertans would have voted against the carbon tax. But that would have been actually the democratic way to do it, to say, we're going to put this aside for this election. We're going to have a separate vote later on a carbon tax. And that's what the government has done here. They've said, look, this is a really detailed, complicated issue. We're not going to be able to have a proper debate about this during a busy election campaign. We'll put it to the side for the election. We're not going to take the vote at this election as a mandate to do this. Yeah. We're going to hold a separate vote later on whether you want this or not. That is you know the, we call that? that you know we call that where I come from? You know we call that where I come from? Uh, bullshit. That's where we call that where I come from. Where, you know, someone says this is the same as that, but not really because these are my people. So it's got to be different. Dude, it's the same thing. You know, when you hide something, you hide a massive, well, hang on, dude. When you hide a massive thing, like taking 53% of Canada's pension money uh, before an election, spring it on people after the election, and then you need to curry some favor at an AGM and you forget that you were doing it for the previous two months, that's subterfuge. Max, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. So a point and a a history lesson. Uh, The point is during the election, Danielle Smith, told people that she wouldn't touch people's pensions and she has her hands all over them right now. So I, you know, I, I, I just think we need to make that, that point a little clearer here. Um, the NDP did not do a good job of, of making the Alberta pension plan uh, more of a ballot issue, but that was in part because the UCP refused to talk about it. Uh, clearly they had plans uh, to proceed with it and they have enacted those plans uh, as we're all seeing. Back in 2015, uh, I remember sitting in an auditorium in Calgary with Colby Kosh, who's a, a columnist for the National Post. We were talking about, I think, Norway. Uh, this was back when I was the the uh, editor of Alberta Oil Magazine. Um, and we we're talking about just oil talking about stuff. Norway, they, like you guys just yeah. struck up a conversation well, no, about like Norway, the, like the, the sort of the comparison between Norway and Alberta in terms of, oh, yeah. of oil and gas and, and how things how money has been saved and things like that. And at the very end, uh, you know, the, pan, the, the host asked us what our prediction was for the election. I said, I think the NDP will win 15 seats. And Colby said, I'll do you one bet. I, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm, I, Colby may remember better than this, but he, he did not predict that they would win. He, he said they would win more seats than, than, than I was predicting, but he didn't think they were going to win the election either. Nobody thought the NDP was going to win that election until about a week uh, or two, you know, a week or so to go. And then it became clear, holy cow, this is going to happen for the first time in Alberta's history since, uh, you know, the early 1970s. So let's not pretend that the NDP was like campaigning to, to become the government and they had a, a policy book ready and they just weren't telling people. Uh, they were surprised as anyone that they ended up being in power. And the, the process for arriving at a carbon tax was they struck a panel called the Climate Leadership Panel, uh, chaired by Professor Andrew Leach. Uh, and they basically went out and talked to eminent experts ar- across the province about how best to implement good climate policy uh, in the province. They did not start with the idea of a carbon tax, and, and Andrew can tell you that. Um, they started with what is the best way to achieve uh, you know, emissions reductions in this province. They talked to experts. They didn't appoint ex-politicians. They didn't appoint uh, people who have been you know, uh, in, the ND- in the NDP's orbit. They appointed the smartest people in the room, and they arrived at the climate leadership plan. So, you know, to compare what they did with the carbon tax to what the UCP did here with with an Alberta pension plan, 
to me feels like either you don't understand the history of Alberta politics or you do and you're willing to misrepresent it to people. Well, look, suddenly an independent panel is a good thing, as long as we don't have a referendum at the end of the process to let people decide whether they like the result of it or not, right? Like, yes, the NDP appointed a panel and they went away and they discussed the policy and then they came back with a proposal for a carbon tax and then they didn't let people vote on it. The UCP is appointing an independent panel. They're going to go and discuss what a pension panel will look like and then they're going to let Albertans vote, right? I'll, I'll let the viewers decide which they think is more democratic between those two. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? And let me just say this. I disagree with both of you. I think all of it's garbage. Like, you know, you, you, it depends on who you support and your culture. But bottom line is, is that I think that was wrong then in 2015. And I think it's wrong now. It's like the people, it's what aboutism at its finest. And it drives me fucking crazy because it's the easiest way out of any argument or conversation, right? You're talking about not being honest or transparent with the people who put you in office and then abusing the privilege of their taxpayer bank code and their PIN number. And that's what we're talking about. In my mind, I could be wrong. I think it's more complicated than that, Dean. Like, like the reality well, there's is there's nuance. Think- but the bottom line is, is that, you know, we're talking about the political machinery in that province in 2015 as it relates to 2023. And what you're saying is if that was OK, then then this should be OK now. Why is it any different? I think hiding things from taxpayers is all bad. But, but look, I think if it was any other issue, Max would be agreeing with me that during an election campaign, you only have a limited amount of time to talk about a limited number of policies. And when people vote in an election campaign, they're not necessarily giving a government a mandate to implement every single policy in the policy book. Elections can be decided on a wide variety of issues, personalities, a couple of key policies that people are campaigning on, right? And the fact that a government gets elected with majority does not necessarily mean the majority of the province agrees with every single policy of that government. And if the government after the election came out and said, well, we have a mandate to do literally whatever we want because we've got a majority and we're going to do all of these things, people would have an issue with that from a democratic perspective because sometimes when you're a voter and you go in the ballot booth, you say, well, look, I disagree with this and this and this policy that this party is proposing, but I agree with this and this and this one. And so on net, on balance, I'm going to support that party. And and so when you're talking about a controversial, complicated policy, like an Alberta pension plan, it's a pro-democratic approach to take to say, we're going to give you a separate vote on this issue, right? You can go into the election campaign and you can make your decision at the ballot box on all of the other issues as to who you want the government to be. And then separately, we're going to give you a separate vote. And if you disagree with a pension plan, that doesn't mean you have to vote NDP at the election. And if you agree with a pension plan, it doesn't mean you have to vote UCP. You can decide your election vote based on the other policies that we're discussing. And then you'll have a separate vote later on the pension plan. And it gives people that choice, that flexibility to say, well, the election is going to be about these things. This referendum later is going to be about these other things. And if we were to say, well, we're not going to have a referendum, we're just going to let the government do whatever it wants because it got a a majority, then if Max is right and a majority of Albertans don't want this policy, you would be disenfranchising those people by forcing an Alberta pension plan on them based on the results of the election. I think the government is doing the right thing by saying this will be decided separately in a separate vote. Hmm. I I think if you tell voters that you're not going to do something, and you immediately turn around and do it, 
That is that is a red card. But they on the didn't say they're not the going to do it. They said we're not going to. Danielle Smith, not going to. I'm never going touching to touch your pension. Your, right, and and, and she no no. So she said that in response to Rachel Notley claiming that they were stealing people's pensions. Uh huh. Well, Rachel Notley didn't pensions. say she's we shouldn't have our pensions, pensions right now. She's Rachel Notley said that, that Danielle Smith was stealing people's pensions. And well, listen, did Danielle lie. Smith say hope, I'm not did well, Danielle Smith not say I'm not gonna touch your pension? And then right. and nobody touch is touching pensions. people's pensions. It's not We're Rachel Notley's whether they fault. should be managed in Ottawa or whether they should be managed in Alberta. I hope Max can agree with me that if a majority of Albertans vote for an Alberta pension plan, Alberta seniors will still have a pension. And because of the mandated federal law that pension that Alberta seniors will have will be at least as beneficial, at least as high a payment as under the Canada Pension Plan, because that's if a legal half of Alberta our CPP. Plan. If you get half of our CPP, uh, seniors in Alberta will all be multimillionaires, by the way. No, well, no, no they'll they, get no, the same no. or slightly higher benefits than they do right now under a Canada Pension Plan. And so getting do, the same or slightly higher benefits as a Canada Pension Plan is not the government stealing people's pensions. And that's what I, CDP I, would I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with Peter here, and I've called the NDP on it repeatedly on Twitter for this, for saying, right. uh, for using the, the word steal, uh, because what it does is it scares seniors who, who maybe don't understand how the pension system works uh, and makes them think that this is about them not having a pension. They will absolutely, if, if, a, you know, if, a, if the referendum goes through, it won't. But if it goes through and, and we move to an Alberta pension plan, their pensions will be exactly the same. Nobody who is a retiree or close to retirement today is going to lose a penny in Alberta on this. It's the young people. It's my son. It's the people down the road who are the ones who are going to get screwed over. And that is, by the way, a, a long tradition in Alberta of filling our pockets today and leaving the pockets empty of people in the future. It'll be kids and grandkids down the road who will have to deal with an economy that is not propped up by oil and gas, an economy that is not prepared for the energy transition, and that is suddenly dependent uh, upon a pension plan that does not have the diversity, that does not have the diversification uh, that the Canada Pension Plan has right now, they're the ones who need to be worried. Not today's seniors. Today's seniors uh, will be just fine and dandy. Today's seniors are always fine and dandy in this country. Mm. The Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by FactCheck.io. FactCheck.io, makers of the world's most comprehensive fact-checking software that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact-check anything that you read. It doesn't matter. If it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact-check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again, want to beta test their product, they're going to launch it in the next month or two, go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Back to the show. Um, so uh, let, let, glad, we some, glad we got some agreement on that. <laughs> uh, you you guys have agreed agree on like four things today. And last Re week, really uh, Max agreed like with, with David Parker six times. It was really cool. It was really nice. I really interestingly though, Dean, the yeah. only poll that's been done on the pension plan so far did show majority opposed, but that same poll actually broke the numbers down by age. And actually, a majority of young people in that poll were okay or in favor of having an Alberta pension plan. because they're idiots. It was actually seniors that were opposed, right? Because they're dumb. And I worry that that's because Rachel Notley and the NDP have been running around saying, no. if you vote for an Alberta pension plan, you won't have a pension. It's going to be no, stolen. Dude, dude, have right? you been, well, how smart were you at 24? <laughs> not that smart. 
Like, what was your understanding of pension plans at 28? Probably nothing. So you got people that are just, it's just resentment shit. Those are people that can't afford a house and they're angry and they deserve to be angry, right? That's where I'm at, Max. Well, $2,800 a year per Albertan will go a long way towards helping. Well, yeah, you you put that in their Facebook feed or on Snapchat and you say that, you know, the federal government's stealing $2,800 from you every year and you can't afford a house. And that's what the government does. TikTok, they TikTok and Facebook the shit out of young people there. Max, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, and and basically, you know, the, the, the value proposition for younger people is, do you want to punch Trudeau in the face today? Uh, and have something potentially happen to you 40 years down the road. That, that's an easy transaction for a lot of people to, to have something good done today from their perspective at a potential cost to their future selves 40 years down the road. We're terrible at, at properly discounting things for our own selves five years down the road, two years down the road. So yeah, young people are idiots when it comes to pensions. Um, and seniors, I think, uh, having grown up in a country, having come of age in a country where pensions were not guaranteed, where there was a lot of instability in the late 90s about whether the Canada Pension Plan would be solvent. And ironically, the guy who's chairing the, the, the panel that's doing the consultation fought for the Canada Pension Plan to make it more solvent in the late 90s, Jim Dinning. Um, you know, th- those, that generation understands the importance of protecting our pensions, not politicizing them, and leaving them the fuck alone. And so I think that's why you have that opposition to the idea of an Alberta Pension Plan, not because Rachel Notley is scaring them. That's like, uh, that's like giving me credit for for what wasn't in Daniel Smith's speech. It's because they have a bigger picture view of pensions and of our role in the Canada Pension Plan than just give me more money. I want more money. It's mine. You know that sort of selfishness that that has really come to define Alberta politics on the right. You know, it's give us give us what we deserve. Give us what we're owed. Not uh, you know we're citizens of a broader country and a broader social fabric. And maybe taking $200 out of the pockets of a senior in, in New Brunswick so I can have more money in mine is not the right thing to do. Mm. Yeah, it's First social responsibility, clear, right? First That's off, very clear, Marxist of you, by the way, Max. Hang very on, Marxist. Clear, we're not taking $200 out of the pockets of seniors in the rest of the country. That's the right. increased contribution that young people in the rest of the country will have to make in order for the rest of the pension to be balanced. But also, like, uh, look, I guess we will see, right? Like, once older seniors in Alberta understand that voting for an Alberta pension plan doesn't mean that their pension is going to be stolen away like Rachel Notley and the unions have said, then we'll see how they vote in the end in the referendum, right? Um, It does sound like Max and I can also agree, however, that young people uh, are terribly opposed to Justin Trudeau. So Justin Trudeau is incredibly unpopular with young people. So we've got another point of agreement we've found. Well, yeah, yes, I, I don't. Up. I do not disagree that he's unpopular in Alberta. That is not breaking news. It's not some sort of gotcha. Well, it's a strategy. Hating him is a really good political strategy in certain parts of the country. Peter, where does the Alberta Institute? What is the Alberta Institute, and where do you get your funding? So we're we're a nonprofit research and advocacy group. Um, so we don't take any money from the government. We get donations on the website. People can go on albertainstitute.ca, fill out the donation form. We have a couple of hundred thousand email subscribers. We send out weekly newsletters to all of them. We send out policy pieces and people can go in and make a donation. But says it's libertarian in nature, right? So are you the only like, and and so you just connect with other libertarians. You don't take any funding from oil and gas. You don't take any funding from developers. None of that stuff. I honestly don't think we've ever got a dollar from an oil and gas company. Maybe some owners of oil and gas companies have made personal contributions, but I think our average donation size is about like $50. And, you know, people might write, write a slightly larger check to us every so often, but 
no, we're not, we're not getting hundred thousand dollar contributions from corporates or we're not getting uh, big grants from governments like some of the environmental left-wing think tanks do. And, and we certainly don't force people to give us money like unions do, right? Like that's my big pet peeve. The unions claim to represent people, but then they force people to join them and give them money, right? Like, yeah, I'm not a union guy either, but whatever. I mean, so, so you don't take developer money? Nope. No, nothing. You don't, you don't take money from developers. You don't have any corporate sponsors, none of that stuff. Uh, I think a few people have sent us checks from a personal corporation instead of a personal corporate instead of their own checkbook. But like, no, we're not out there seeking massive donations from corporations in exchange for policy. We have our own philosophical view as libertarians. We advocate for those policies. And if people want to support the work that we do and they want to donate to us to do more of that kind of work, then they can do that. Which is what work? What is your work? What is the work about? Because I went through some of your uh, your articles. Uh, I know you're a writer of note. Um, and let me bring some of this stuff up. If this is the work you're doing, uh, I like this article. <laughs> well, that one's from about 11 years ago, but yeah. <laughs> five reasons price gouging should be legal. Um, is that a liberty? Like, is that what you do at the, cause I went through your website and I didn't see a lot of resources. It was just like a place to donate who you are and a couple of articles you've written over the past like 12 years. So I'm trying to figure out. You know, because you you seem legitimate. You have a uh, wonderful ability to talk. Your accent's great. You're wearing a nice blue blazer. Um, but like, I don't see any substance on the Alberta Institute's website, just a place to donate and something about yourself. No, so we we do a range of different stuff. Uh, most recently, we were on a tour all across the province. We had 24 events, Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, some smaller places as well, Oyen, Vulcan, uh lloyd minster things like that so we do physical in-person events that people can come and talk about policies we talked a lot about the pension plan at those events you know we we had people like what max is alluding to who were concerned that their pension's going to get stolen if 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 they voted for an alberta, alberta pension plan and we were able to explain that how it would work and things like that uh like i said we do uh email newsletters so every week we send out uh, a whole bunch of different e different email newsletters on provincial politics, on policy issues. Uh, we do a lot of work on municipal issues. We cover a lot of what's happening at City Hall in the, the top five or six cities across the province, um, which you know I think is something that doesn't get enough attention. There's, there's a real shortage of local journalists now in, in not just in Alberta, across the country that, that don't keep track of what's happening at City Hall. So we like to keep track of what's being debated at City Hall. You know, we've got massive tax increases coming in both Calgary and Edmonton this week. It's going to be debated by the city. So, so is it an that. institute? Is the Alberta Institute an institute? Because it says institute in the name, so I'm confused. Well, what's your definition of institute? Well, like an institute. Right. I mean, I can. Is Max sure newspaper can, an observer? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, observe, we're all observers, so that's pretty accurate. But like, what what yeah, what do, is, it, is it a brick research. and mortar? We okay, do ad so, advocacy. Yeah. Okay, advocacy for libertarians. We do advocacy for the ideas and the policies that we've researched and advocated for. So that the best way maybe to explain it is the government is regularly proposing ideas, and we'll do research and and advocate for or against those ideas or suggest changes to those ideas if we if we disagree with what the government's proposing and we also will come up with our own original ideas and research and, and talk about you know what we think we should be doing i don't understand that i could okay. be wrong i just i don't i don't i don't quite understand like you know and maybe maybe i'm not maybe i'm thinking inside the box max do you understand that i don't 
I do. Uh, I mean, I, I understand what he's what he's saying, where he's coming from. Um, you know, this is sort of a familiar uh, um, approach on the right. You know, the Manning Foundation, the ex Manning Foundation. I think it's called the Free and Proud and Strong and Great Foundation now, or something. They've rebranded, but um, they they seed uh, these sorts of organizations that ha- that use names that give them this sort of institutional legitimacy, so institute, um, and, and contribute to the public conversation. I see nothing wrong with that. As I was, uh, you know, I, I honestly wish that progressives were a little smarter about it themselves and were a little more willing to kind of mix it up and, and do their own advocacy uh, in, in well, this well, the way. left do do this. You have organizations like the Pimbner Institute, for example, right? Although I would you cannot po- You cannot possibly be comparing a problem because to the, the government you cannot no, you're right. They get, they get tons of government money. If we got hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars from the government. Well, just from a legitimacy standpoint, I don't think you can on, put bro. yourself in the same Venn diagram as the Pembina Institute. That's my theory. I could funded by, Look, funded, the funded by industry, by the way. No, they, have, they get all sorts of government money. I've had this argument with them before. The PIM, we do the same kind of work as the Pembina Institute from a different perspective. We just do it on a fraction of the budget because we don't take government money. How many people work at the Alberta Institute? Uh, we got about four full-time people and a bunch yeah. of part-time people that do a little yeah. bit here and there on different policy issues. Do you have a board of directors? Yes. Anybody we know on the board? Uh, we don't disclose that so that Max's followers don't go and get into them. <laughs> okay. Most that's board a- of directors public knowledge but that's okay uh, i feel like so i feel you, like the, the pemba institute definitely tells you who's on its board of directors yes but they don't have to deal with your your followers on twitter max so oh yeah those those <laughs> crazy oh, yeah, those, climate guys <laughs> if you only knew what the pemba institute people have to deal with <laughs> i listen matt i i gotta tell you and this is just me being honest peter i i i deal with I deal with these news sites, people calling themselves institutes. We're Cryer Media. We're a media outlet. We do podcasts. We do blogs. You can see it. You can see our clients. You can see our advertisers. You can see what we do. Happy to take you through our corporate structure and all that stuff. When, when people are unwilling to give that information out about an organization that wants to be considered legitimate or unbiased, I start asking questions, Pete, and, and I find it. I find it interesting that that, you know, with, you know, the rebel news of the world and I'm no way am I saying you're a rebel news of the world. But, you know, online portals, digital access, these institutes that say they're here to, you know, for the people. But then you can clearly tell where their stripes line up. But they try desperately to tell you they're in it for the taxpayer, in it for the average person. I mean, and, and with all due respect, because you're a lovely individual, and I'm happy to have you back anytime. I really would. I think you're great. Um, but, you know, let's let's call a spade a spade i mean it doesn't seem like you know the alberta institute or itself is an institute of any note number one number two it's really hard to nail you down on what it is you stump for because you kind of you know you you say you're in the middle you say you're libertarian but every single receipt i see says you're extremely right-leaning and you espouse the views of the current government specifically the people from Take Back Alberta, like my friend David Parker, who I think is a gas, by the way. I think he's one of the greatest entertainers of my time. I think it's hilarious. Like, I just do. Um, but I find it interesting because, you know, when you're on the up and up, you'll give people what they need to hear so that you can actually legitimize it. It happens in business. You ask for CVs, you find out who these people are, and you say, okay, great. I have full comfort and full knowledge 
that these people are legitimate and I should be taking what they're saying as information, not as affirmation of my political bias. And I got to be honest with you, dude, that's what I see with the Alberta Institute. And I find it interesting and somewhat dis well, totally disingenuous if we're being honest, that that organizations like that, like yours, use these names to tell people that, hey, we're right down the middle and then just feed this fire hose of information that isn't down the middle. Am I well, being I, I mean, I, offside? I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying we don't claim to be right down the middle. We, we have a libertarian worldview and that's the perspective we promote. And yeah, but you don't. And our but you don't have a libertarian worldview. Right. You've got a, a super hard right-leaning uh, well, worldview I, according I, to I the things you say. Right? Um, and I can give you a bunch of examples of us disagreeing with, you know, the Kenny government, the the Smith government, even. You know, we've opposed um, we opposed the uh, holding the of arena. the Commonwealth in Alberta. We opposed yeah. the arena. Um, because we don't think it's a good use of taxpayer money, right? Like, I don't think it's fair to say that we just say whatever the government does. I think even Max would agree with that. Um, you know, we we disagree when we disagree, and we agree when we agree. And, you know, if the NDP had had more good policies, we would have praised the NDP more often, too. Okay. No, hey, dude, I, this conversation, I, I'm glad we're having it. Um, but, I mean... <laughs> like, and in the end, our supporters yeah. support us voluntarily. They donate to us voluntarily. If they don't like what we're doing, they don't have to support us anymore. If they don't like what we're doing, they don't have to donate to us anymore. Uh, it's a free country. It's a free province. And we're there representing the philosophy and the views that we believe in. And enough people in Alberta agree with us that we've been able to build this organization to promote those ideas. I think it's great. Dude, don't get me wrong. I'm with Max. Like we, We're of the opinion that more people should be doing this kind of stuff if you want to engineer a result. But, I, I mean, like Max, I, I, you know, we, we talked about this prior to actually doing the show. And I'm like, I, I tried to look for information on the Alberta Institute and it seemed like, you know, the case is that it's it. And again, I'm not in Alberta. Seems like a front to some extent. Well, I be welcome you to come to any of the public events we regularly advertise all the time. We'll probably do a pub night next month. Come out to Alberta, come to a pub night and meet a bunch Ooh. of people. I don't mind. See, and, and, I, and I think just to sort of reiterate the point, conservatives are very good at this sort of community building um, narrative building, consensus building um, mm -hmm. in a way that, that progressives aren't. And, and I'm not going to take a run at unions, but um, I do think that the, the reliance of progressive politicians on sort of unions to do a lot of that work is is a failing um, because it, they have their own interests. They, they are not um, they are not necessarily or always uh, good, good messengers uh, for the things that progressives want to see happen. And and I'd love to see, I've always joked that I think that, that progressives should create a Canadian Taxpayers Foundation or something like that, where we just talk about the good things that are done by government and, and the ways in which tax dollars are spent efficiently, because there is this, of course, one-sided narrative uh, where uh, every every penny that isn't spent correctly by progressive politicians, they're, they're always quiet about conservative politicians, but um, that gets highlighted. And I think it, it leads people to having a very jaundiced view of the role that government plays in their lives and the government that role, the role that government plays in underwriting a lot of the success that we have uh, in our society. So, you know, uh, maybe there's something that we can all learn from, from the, the Alberta Institute here. Well, and my advice there, obviously I'm biased. My advice there would be like, you know, don't rely on compulsory union donations, right? Like, like the reality is, okay, yes, it's a massive pool of money, but when you're not accountable to your members, when you get the money 
whatever you do, like look at what's happening with QP at the moment with uh, some of the stuff in the Middle East, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you as an organization are guaranteed millions of dollars a year, no matter what you do, because your members are legally forced to be members and legally forced to give you money, then you have no uh, reason to be accountable to them. You have no reason to do a good job, right? Um, so yeah, I, I encourage the left to create more nonprofits and do it on a voluntary basis uh, so that they are accountable to members and they have to actually represent the views of the people supporting them. Gentlemen, I enjoyed this. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. I mean, we're diametrically opposed to some aspects, but you know, the good part is we can all agree to have a conversation, right? Um, and said a couple of weeks ago when Max was on with Parker, um, I want to get to know these people, you people. I want to bring people together to have these conversations. And and listen, um, I, I, I don't understand what it is that Alberta does that makes it just this shit hot topic in Canada. But I dig it. Like I dig all the different interests that are going into it because it starts these conversations. Right. And then the cream rises to the top. And Peter, for all I don't know about the Alberta Institute. And for what I, what it looks like to me, to your point, and Max said it before we got on, you're true blue. Like you put your money where your mouth is and you go out and you do the work and it's important to you. And it's a subject that these are things that interest you. It aligns with your values. And you've been able to create a mailing list with a couple hundred thousand emails and you've been able to drive a result and you've been able to insert yourself into the process. To Max's point, everybody should start doing that. It's the only thing I agree with Parker on last week where he's like, man, first <laughs> principles, like like, let's get rid of the corruption. Let's get rid of the bullshit. And by and large, let me just point this out. He is a fantastic actor. and He's doing an incredible job of it. But I will say this, is that that's something that you guys do so much better than everybody else. You organize, you troll, you get a result, you get grassroots. And so power to you. Kudos. I mean, you know, this is going to make everybody else kind of come into the middle and go, okay, listen, they're going to bring that. We'll bring this. We'll have a nice little potluck, and at the end of it, we'll all do dishes together, right? That's kind well, of the whole thing. Well, like point. I said, come out to Alberta, come to one of our pub nights. Maybe Max can come too, and we can record another episode. That would be nice, wouldn't it? We'll come out there. Max and I will get just shit-hot hammered. <laughs> we'll get on stage with our microphones, and we'll be super abusive with each other. Do you think the great. quality of the show would be better or worse? Well, let's <laughs> not use the word just, quality with this show. Just different. Just, but I keep saying, I, I keep saying, I, I keep joking that they should set up like a dunk, but a dunk tank with me in it and put me at the stampede or something. We could raise, we could start our own little foundation just with the money we raise from that. Yeah. Are you guys scared of Max out there, real quick? Because Max carries a big stick, and his and his uh, opinion obviously matters because Danielle Smith changed her whole tune for. Him. <laughs> <laughs> but Peter, are you scared? Because you guys, listen, you guys, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what happens on social media, real quick, before I let you go. Um, you know, we had a lot of people like 6.1 million minutes watched a video with Parker and Max in the last podcast. And then you, you're like, Hey, I want to come on Max and I'll go at it. Um, like th this is this, it, there's, there's a little science to this as well. Right. Is that Max though, because he's, he's, a, he's a bit of an anvil and he's also the tack hammer from time to time, but he's also fact-based and I happen to appreciate the values he espouses because he espouses those values for Canadian citizens as a whole doesn't like driving a selfish result, but let me, and that's my opinion. You could say I'm wrong, but it seems like, you know, the, the, the right leaning institutional folks like yourself that align with that portion of the government, it seems like it's a strategy to get into Max's mentions. 
just so he says something to you. Like, is that is that because like, dude, I watch you interact with his tweets. You get hundreds of comments when you're tweeting. Not a lot. Same thing when I respond to Max, hundreds of comments. And when I'm tweeting on my end, I get thousands of comments. Actually, it's no. Uh, I don't know. Ma Max retweets me and replies to me regularly, even when I don't mention him in my tweets. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely you're do in there get all more the angry Joel's replying when he does. That. You guys are in there all the time. You're looking for the faucet lift. That's what it looks like to me. Everybody's going. Uh, Max is a thought leader. If you can get into his mentions and if he replies to you, that means you're going to get more followers. It's a brilliant move. I just wondered if you guys get on the phone tonight and go, okay, tomorrow, this is what you're going to say to Max. David, you're going to call him Maxi Pad. <laughs> Peter, you're going to call him incompetent or tell him you just lives misinformation all day long. Like, is that happening? Do you guys get on the phone at night and go, here's our strategy for tomorrow? No. <laughs> okay. I just don't think it would be a very good strategy because even if I got a bunch of Max's followers, they'd probably block me within a week. So it wouldn't I don't watch it. That much. <laughs> I think we all suffer. All, all of us suffer from the same defect, which is that we were the people who liked to argue uh, in high school with each other rather than, you know, go out and throw the football around. And I, I think that's why I like getting in Peter's mentions and Peter likes getting in my mentions and, you know, uh, Look, at the end of the day, after watching what's happening in the Middle East right now and, and everything that's yeah. spilling out over here, being able to disagree with someone without uh, having it take that next level is uh, is a thing to treasure. Uh, it's not it's not a small thing. Do you guys like each other more now? A little bit. Oh, I already liked Max. <laughs> <laughs> disagree with him, but I already liked him. It's fine. Hey, fellas, you know what? You know what I do is I, I bring people together. That's what I do. You're, I've you're, been accused of a lot... You're the matchmaker. I'm the, I'm the, you know what I am? Uh, I am the Chuck Woolery of podcasting. There Joe. you go. That's what there I you go. Great That's a to deep see you, cut. Max. Yeah, you it's too. not bad. We'll be back in two and two. That guy, Chuck Woolery. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers him. Um, Max Fawcett, National Observer, lead columnist at Max Fawcett on Twitter is where you can find him. Go to the Canada's National Observer. Uh, wonderful uh, publication. One of Canada's fastest growing and most accountable. And I happen to like the content because I believe in climate change and science, but that's just me. Also social responsibility. Uh, go subscribe. Uh, they've got a wonderful network of writers, great group of people. Uh, Peter McCaffrey, really appreciate you being here at Peter EMCC on Twitter. Go to the Alberta Institute webpage. If you identify with uh, those values and you want more information from Peter, he's very active on Twitter. He will get back to you. And as you can tell, he's front and center and he puts his money where his mouth is. I always appreciate that about people. Peter, thanks for being here, brother. Really appreciate your time. Good to be with you. Talk to you soon. Max, talk to you soon, buddy. Till next time. Till next time for another Versus. Max Fawcett, ladies and gentlemen, Canada's National Observer, Peter McCaffrey, both good dudes, right? Just sitting here shooting the shit. I had questions. It's how you get past, like, biases, too, by the way, right? Because you know what happens is, is everybody's been locked in their house for I don't know how long. I didn't ask, I didn't ask Peter if he's vaccinated. I will stay away from that today. Uh, you stay in your house for too long and you live in this echo chamber and then you like see people on Twitter saying stuff because everybody can say stuff real brave like on Twitter, social media. And then you get in front of them and you're like, hey, what about this? Because like, eh, well, here's how I feel. The fuck yous disappear right away or cuck. Marxist. Don't exist in these conversations. That's why I like having them. Right. And I know nothing. Really, I'm just a just a butthead with a microphone. But I'm interested, and everybody should be. This is your country. These are, these are your Canadian citizens. 
it doesn't matter what your perspective is. We're supposed to be working together and having these conversations, not splitting into small groups of idiots going, fuck you over there. No, fuck you. You launch a snowball and you launch a rock. And you're like, so much easier to do that on Twitter, isn't it? Because there's no consequence. There's no accountability. There's no nothing. You can't ask a hard question on Twitter. And here's the other thing. You know, when someone tells you to prove something on Twitter, how about don't? How about why waste your time being someone's Google machine? Don't even bother. That happens a lot between those two groups, right? Where you see people from one side going, this is the information I got from a blog. Prove me wrong. It's like, oh, now I got to go on a fact-finding mission just to be right in your tweet thread? No. Doesn't matter. What matters is, is are you okay with what you think and what you believe is right? And here's where that aligns. And this is kind of the interesting part. And this is the last thing I'm going to say about this shit. I fucking can't stand talking about pensions. This is where I align. And I think that everybody should feel this. Everybody should think like me. The world would be a better place. Is if you have the ability to have a conversation with somebody, you open up your mind to what they're talking about, as opposed to yelling at them because you're so hardened in your perspective. And if you respond well to that and you take that information and you still have the right to not agree with them. You still do. You absolutely do. But shutting that information out, stopping those conversations, finding a way to base someone's reputation so that you can say, hey, everybody, don't believe him because or her because this, this, and this is the stupidest thing in the world. It's just ignorance. It's absolute fucking ignorance. And we do it. We do it all the time. We try to tell people they're wrong based on who they know or who they follow on Twitter and that you shouldn't believe this person, right? Listen, I'm hardened in my beliefs but I'm open to others. And if I'm wrong, man, I want to be right. So if I'm wrong and someone tells me I'm wrong and you show me that I'm wrong and I have the opinion that I can be right after because you show me I'm wrong, great. Great. But if I'm wrong and I'm ignorant and I don't want to hear it from anybody, which is exactly what's going on, it is a disservice to you to remain ignorant like, why do you think we have these issues with uh, the parental rights bullshit? I'll tell you why. And I said this yesterday at its Dean Blundell. I put out a tweet, a little bedhead presser about the whole thing. I'll tell you why. Because there are parents out there that are very bad parents that don't communicate with their kids. And when their kids have a problem, they go to the teacher and the parents get upset because they're like, yeah, I can't believe he's a, it's my child, my property, my chattel. Those people do a terrible job of educating their children, having conversations with their families, and they want to shut everything out. It's a problem with mainstream religions, specifically Abrahamic faiths. I go on it all the time. Is that they want to silo and protect their families and children from secular information, which is just information that isn't faith-based. So you, you, you're going to keep ignorant the rest of your life? You're going to stay ignorant for the rest of your life? Is that what you want to do? Or do you want to listen to other people's perspectives? Like we just listened to Peter and Max. I happen to agree with 85% of the stuff Max says. Happen to disagree with 85% of the stuff Peter says. Happen to think Peter's numbers are opinions based on a result that he wants to drive. But I think Max's opinion is based on a result he wants to drive, right? But I happen to agree with the opinion that Max and the result that he wants because I want the same thing. I want our citizenry to be healthy. I want everybody to have equal opportunity. I want every province to be a proud Canadian province. 
I want us working together like jaws and teeth. That's what I want. That's what we were meant for, right? At least I'm pretty sure that's what we were meant for. Imagine that, Dean being all positive. Trying to explain to everybody that when you sit in your fucking weird echo chamber and you decide that you've got all the information you need to live your life and you're done learning, you're an idiot. That's why we're here today. Go to the Cryer Media Shop, Cryer.co. We've got a shirt that says stupid people are in the new pandemic, and that is a fact. It's an unmitigated fact. Is that we're here because people refuse to have conversations. 100%. And I'm not just talking about neighbors refusing to have conversations. I'm talking about, you know, your political masters who, by the way, somehow in the last like four or five years became like rock stars, like flags. You got Canadian politicians that are fucking out of work lawyers that have won an election underhandedly. And all of a sudden you're a fan of theirs and you got their flag or their bumper sticker. That's my guy. This isn't a fucking NFL game. We elect idiots. We elect idiots provincially. We elect idiots federally. We elect the lowest common denominator of almost unemployable human beings that will say and do anything on behalf of their culture, their political party, and their ideology because that's how they get these sweet fucking paychecks and they get free Uber rides and a place to live in Ottawa or a pension from the government of whatever province they decided to serve as a public servant. That's not public service. Ask any single politician, elected politician, what they miss the most when they get ousted. I'll tell you what it is. It's the housing allowance. It's the free flights. It's the Uber and limo rides. It's the free office. It's the mantle of being someone who's been elevated to this position that we used to think was cool. It's not cool anymore. The smartest people in the world are out actually in private enterprise working. The smartest economists, the smartest transit people, the smartest social, uh, social program people, the smartest psychologists, the smartest oil and gas people, they're not in politics. They're not running for office. They're just grabbing whoever believes in whatever this group or that group wants, conservative or liberal, and they're like, hey, you're going to ride for the brand. You're going to be a weapon for us, and we're going to treat people like shit, and you're going to help us do it. But all the while, we'll tell everybody it's good for them. And we'll tap into their culture. We'll tap into their religion. We'll tap into their paychecks. And we'll tell them to fear the other people because they're coming to take those things from you. That's all that is. Fascinating to me. I didn't see it from that 40,000-foot perspective when I was a young lad. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks to Max. Thanks to Peter. Thanks to you for spending some time with us. Don't forget, you can get everything we do at Cryer Media. Go to Cryer.co for more information. Also, really appreciate it if you went to our YouTube channel, Dean Blundell Show on YouTube. You can check us out there. Rate, subscribe, review. Thank you. means a lot to us. Same thing with our... Apple, iTunes, Google, Spotify, et cetera. If you go there and do the same thing, it would be make a big deal. Just been told, blew it off for like four years. So, <laughs> Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. 
Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.